Amen. Here we are in the Gospel of John. And as we begin our, our, our second week in the study, you know, we're already seeing that there is a major difference between the Gospel of John and the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, the way I'd like to start this morning is just by reading. I know here it says verse 4 and 5, but let's begin at the beginning. And here in John 1, 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they focus more on what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. But John, right out of the gate, is focusing us on who Jesus is. The Synoptic Gospels, they begin with these human genealogies and the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy, pinpointing like the, through the line of, of Abraham, through the line of David. But John begins with a declaration of the deity of Christ, his eternal existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the passage that we're looking at this morning, specifically in verses 4 and 5, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. This passage that we're looking at, it begins with, in him. In who? Verses 1 through 3 tells us, the one who in very nature is very God. The one who is before all creation. The word by whom all things were made that were made. The uncreated creator of all things. And so like when you read the book of Genesis and you read the creation account, it's such a, if you try to imagine it, it's such an exciting and beautiful chapter. I remember when I was a brand new believer, I'd probably been walking with the Lord for about three weeks at the time. And, you know, I'd kind of come out of like, kind of like this like hippie mindset and here I am, but my mind is just so full of wonder. And I'm looking up at these mountains. And I'm just like, these mountains are so big. And they're so beautiful. I can even almost imagine it now in my head. It was, this was like, you know, a long time ago. And I can almost imagine, I'm like, wow. What a wonderful creator God is. I wish I could just see his paintbrushes. Like, that was kind of this weird idea in my mind. Just, to, just imagining, like, God pulling out his paintbrushes and not just painting a picture of sky, like painting sky. You know, like, there's some rocks and there's mountains. Like, just in my, my vivid imagination. And then at that point, then I started thinking, man, all these people, they, they pull out their canvas and their easel and they start painting. And then they write their name on the painting when really they're just plagiarizing the things that God has done, right? So like all of our inspiration 
is coming from the very things that he has created. We see the beauty all around us and it inspires us to want to express ourselves. Whether it's like you're creative through, you know, um, whatever your, your medium is. It's like, you know, brushes or pencils or, or you know, fancy chalk or, or, or words or, or whatever it is that you're able to express. But there's this like, his creation inspires creativity within us. And it's beautiful. But when you read Genesis chapter 1, there is so much joy in the creativity of God. When you look at creation, you know, sometimes within, uh, like, within man and within, uh, you know, the way that we operate, when we build things, we want them to be efficient. We want them to be streamlined. Often we create for efficiency's sake. But within nature, we don't always find just sheer efficiency. You see evidence throughout creation. There's this big word. It's called um, teleology. Teleology, it's the study of being and the study of design. And within teleology, you'll see that like there's things that God has made that he's not just making for the sake of efficiency. Like you think, have you ever looked at a a bumblebee? Bumblebee is like, doesn't look like a very efficient creature. Here it is, this like big fuzzy body. I mean, it could, it looks kind of cute. If you're, if you didn't know there was a stinger in it, you'd be like, oh, cute little guy. And you know, and here it is with these little tiny wings, looks super awkward. But yet you watch it within like its bed of flowers. And it just looks like there's joy that's happened in there. When God creates, there's this, all this joy, all this beauty. And in Genesis chapter 1, you see, and God said, let there be, and there was, and it was good. The goodness of God displayed throughout all that he's made, and that goodness gives him glory. But I love the way Genesis 1.20 is worded in the New American Standard Bible. It says, and God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. He didn't just make it with some life on it. He made it teeming with life. Like this earth, anywhere you look, you're going to find life just in abundance. You know, you, you could dig it up, look it under a microscope. You're going to find all kinds of living stuff in it. When I first moved here and like Jeff would take me out spearfishing and I'd be like going over the reef and I'd be like, there's nothing here. This is, this is a dead reef. And then like right next to me, he'd swim up with like a massive lobster. and like, where'd you see that? This thing is dead. But it's because I didn't have an eye to see it. I was just looking on the surface, like he's looking all around. Now, I, I, when I go in the reef, like I see that it's alive. Not just the reef is living, but there's like fish everywhere. And most of the time they see you before you see them and they go and they hide. But, you know, if you know how to look, man, it's just, it's loaded. There's, the oceans are teeming with life. 
You go out here into the hills, they're teeming with life. There's life everywhere. And when God made man, it says in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the, of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. He brought it into existence. God created all the living things, grass, fish, birds, creeping things. He said, let there be, and there was, with all of those things. But when he made mankind, there's this special interaction of relationship. Let us make man in our image. And from that, breathing into man the breath of life or the spirit of life. And at that point, it says man became a living soul. A living being. And then you remember what, Adam's, or, or what Adam named Eve, what Eve's name means. In Genesis 3, verse 20, and Adam called his wife, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. So when you look at the creation account, you know what you see? You see so much living going on. You see living things, living beings, living because they have life and life that they have from their creator. But then here in the first couple of words that we see in our passage this morning, we're not only induced, introduced to, we're actually invited to come to the one who, he doesn't just have life. He doesn't just give life. We're invited to come to the one who is life. John brings into the picture right here out of the gate, one of his great themes of the book of John. And that great theme is the word life. And it's not just the word bios, which is kind of describing like existence, that homeostasis where, you know, you keep your circulation going, you keep your blood oxygenated, the heart keeps pumping, and you continue to exist. It's not just talking about that. It's not talking about like, you know, physical life that continues to exist. This is that different word. It's that word zoe, which means like vitality, a quality of not just existence, but truly living in the way that God has intended you to live. 36 times John uses this word, more than any other writer in the New Testament. And he unfolds in the upcoming chapters, this theme. Like in chapter three, where Jesus meets Nicodemus. Nicodemus, um, he was a, a, a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a, a ruler of the Jews. And yet, he was a man who was very, a very careful follower of the law. He was hoping that his obedience to the law would save him. But to this man who was hoping that the law would save him, Jesus addresses him and tells him, hey, if you're going to have life, you must be born again. John 3.16, you, you know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This life that is qualified by this, this term, it has this quality of it of not just life, but an everlasting life, an eternal life. Or in chapter 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman, here's this woman who had in her lifetime been desired, wanted, pursued, married, and then thrown away, divorced. In, in that culture, the, the women didn't do the divorcing. The men would do the divorcing. It was this writ of divorcement. It was like, in fact, the Old Testament says that God hates the putting away is the way he describes it. It's where you just put the woman away. So she had been pursued, she had been married, and then just thrown away, put away by a man. And the wounds, the, the, the scars that that would leave on a person are deep. And nobody thinks of like, I, when I grow up, I want to be the person that has had multiple husbands. That, that's not the little girl's fairy tale. That's not their dream. And yet the scarring that that happened. And then... Repeat, pursued, wanted, married, and then put away again. And then repeat it again. And again, five times she goes through this agony. And all that it will leave her with these, this, this, emotional, um, this emotional weight that she has to carry. Five different men. And at the time that Jesus met her, she was living with a man who was not her husband because he wouldn't commit to her as a husband. And even that's kind of this weird thing like, why is there no commitment? Why do you just want to play house with me, but yet like not legitimize this thing? And to this woman who knew that life has to be more than all of this baggage, Life has to be more than all of these woundings. Jesus addresses her longing. Because what she wanted, she didn't want to just keep existing, keep sustaining the, you know, just moving on with the inertia. Jesus said to her in John 4, verse 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And at that point, she's like, Lord, give me this water forevermore. He addresses her true thirst. You drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. You drink of, you know, whatever's out there, you're going to thirst again. But living water from Jesus himself. And then there's the story of the official son right afterwards in John chapter 4, verse 43 to 54. The official, he wanted Jesus to come to his own town to heal his son who was dying. And Jesus was moved with compassion for the father and he promised that he would heal his son. 
And with a word, Jesus not only brought healing, but he brought life in such a way where it, his healing and his life that he brought transcended space and time. In John 4, verse 50 through 53, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him saying, your son lives. And he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Jesus didn't have to come to do anything. He just spoke it. The healing and life that Christ brings transcends space and time. But probably the highlight to the theme of John, this theme of life throughout John, comes up in chapter 11. It's the story of Lazarus. Lazarus, a, a close friend of Jesus, gets really sick. And Mary and Martha send for Jesus to have him come so that he can heal Lazarus. And by the time that Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Martha says to him, if you would have only been here, he wouldn't have died. And to that, Jesus replies in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You see, in Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, Eternal life is a fact. The believer never dies spiritually because in relationship with Jesus, he cannot be apart from the one who is life. Remember, Jesus doesn't just have life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. And even though a believer may die, yet he shall live. John shows us that Jesus, he is the giver of spiritual life. In his encounter with Nicodemus, you must be born again. That he is the, the, the author and, and um, giver of physical life in the official's son. And then also of eternal life with his encounter with Martha and Lazarus. In John 6, verse 35, we see that Jesus, he declares, I am the bread of life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in Colossians 3, 4, Paul just comes right out and says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So yes, in creation, we received a gift from him, and it's that gift of life. But beyond that, that's that gift of existence, of just the, the, the processes of living that they keep going, and our life is preserved. 
Paul even says in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 18, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. So in a sense, like even our existence, the, the breath in your lungs right now, in Daniel, we learn that he holds our very breath. That he is the provider and the keeper of our life. We, we understand that. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. So in one sense, no matter how godless you would try to make yourself, no matter how godless you are in the expression of your living, in, in one sense, you're never truly godless for in him you live and move and have your being. Just your very existence today, whether you want it to or not, glorifies the one who is life. But beyond that, we know that we were meant for more than just existence. That there's an aspect to our living in which we feel like we're not really living. That's why Nicodemus was told, you must be born again, Nicodemus. That's why the woman at the well was promised living water. What is missing from our living? It's this in John 17, verse three. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Eternal life from the one who is eternal, the eternal God, the one who is life. And in knowing him, that is eternal life. In him is life. And yet, let's read verses three and four, or four and five again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The life is the light of men. This second great theme in the Gospel of John, the life was the light of men. John understands that without light, that men live in darkness and that darkness is to be overcame or you were to overcome the darkness. How? John 8 verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What is darkness? Well, you just think of it on a, on a physical level. Darkness isn't like a thing. Darkness is just that state in which light has been removed. The absence of light. This room has light in it. You know, we got... Got some stage lights. We've got a couple of chandeliers in here. And because they're in here, this room is being filled with light at the moment. But what would you do to go about getting this room to be dark? I mean, right now, like it has light. How do you make it dark? Would you somehow try to like scoop the light out? Somehow like capture the light in like little light buckets and Take them out, and then once you get them out, then you'd bring this other thing in into its place called darkness. 
Is it that you like, you, you get the light out of here and then you have to bring something else in? No, as soon as the light goes away, darkness. So it just shows that darkness isn't a thing. It's the absence of the light. You could make it dark in here by turning off the lights. But there's another way for this room to get dark. If somebody blindfolded you, the room would still have all kinds of light in it. But to your perception, it would be darkness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. And notice that's the lowercase g right there. That's a, that's a reference and a title of, of Satan. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. In Paul's day, people would criticize him and they'd say, Paul, you're preaching like a veiled message. You're preaching things that are really just, they're just too hard to understand. It's going over everybody's head, Paul. But Paul was very deliberate. The gospel that he preached was straightforward and to the point. He even said it, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. It wasn't that Paul's message is veiled. It was that those that were hearing so often had this spiritual blindness they had veiled hearts and minds. And sadly, there in, in verse 4, we see that there is the work of the wicked one involved in their blindness. Why is the wicked one involved in their blindness? Because he doesn't want people to see the light of the gospel. And his constant effort not just for unbelievers, even for believers. His constant effort is to get our eyes off of Jesus and to keep our eyes off of Jesus. Why? Because it's in Jesus that we discover who God is. When we look to Jesus, we see God. Colossians 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the image of the invisible God, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Look, Jesus is God. He is the brightness of his glory. He is the express image of his person and there is no other way to be saved. And so if you today are not looking to Jesus, you are not looking to be saved. Isaiah 45, 22, look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. When we see the gospel of John, when we see what John's doing here, he talks about creation. And he who is the cause of all creation. 
In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was nothing made that was made. And then from that, he brings the connection to creation. And then straight from that, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You remember in the the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth, or the deep. And God said, let there be light. So we're seeing here this connection in the mind of John with God and his creativity. And then from that, in the midst of the creativity, then he brings light. And the light that he brings, it brings order into the chaotic, you know, creation of the time. Not only John, but the Apostle Paul makes that same connection. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. When did he command light to shine out of darkness? At the creation. But now it says, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So both John here in the beginning of his gospel and Paul knew that the creation account of Genesis, it sets the stage for the new creation that's found in Jesus. God commanded light to shine in Genesis. He said, let there be light. But here there's no commanding of let there be because the very one who is light is always shining. He doesn't stop shining. The glory of God is shining into all the world even now. Those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, his light is shining. But so often, sadly, the eyes and minds of men and women are being blinded. They're being distracted by meaningless things, by empty things that are so temporary. And yet we begin to believe like they are everything. And yet, as Christ said, what will it it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We get so target fixed. Like my my dog does this all the time. We'll start throwing the ball in the house and he forgets about the whole house. And the only thing that exists is the ball. And he runs hard into things at times. And I have to tell the kids, stop it. You know what the dog's going to do. They're like, oh, it's so funny. Like, no, he's going to hurt himself. But he's just so focused. The ball, the wall, well, the wall, the wall. And that becomes like our whole mode of existence. Where we just keep living, just keep living, just keep living. All I got to do is just one more day, one more day, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Just another dollar, another dollar. Just if I clear this little debt, if I get a little further out, then it'll be okay. And you just, you're, just, you're just going through this grind. The monotony of it all. And, you got, you, and then you wonder, like, there's got to be more than this. 
the God who commanded light to shine in Genesis, let there be light, and there was, is now shining an, in, an uncreated light, the light of the glory of God. And that light is shining in the face of Jesus. God is light. John 1.5, this is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus, the one who is the revelation of God to man. Jesus, the one who reveals what fellowship with God looks like. Jesus is the one who can bring order into your chaos. For at the, the first creation, at, the, at the, the old creation, when God said, let there be light, he spoke light into the chaos and there began to be order. And now in the face of Jesus, as he's shining into your life, whatever chaos that you might be finding there, he can bring order. Whatever, like just sheer just existence, he can bring life. And not just life, but life more abundantly. In him was life. And the life is the light of men. And the light shined into the darkness and the darkness didn't comprehend it. And if today there's like this lack of comprehension in you, today we'll pray for you that the God of this age will be bound and that his blinding in your life will be held back momentarily. So this just so that you could see the, the beauty and the, the, the riches of the love of God towards you. I remember the day that I received Jesus, that, that day that he spoke so clear to my life, it was as if time stood still. Like for one moment, I was actually thinking clearly and everything radically changed. And so we'll pray that for you. But for those of you that know the Lord, like behold his glory. Behold Jesus. Think upon him. Set your heart and mind upon him. Meditate on him. Pray. And as Garrett reminded me in between services, it's like that camera where you can set your aperture and your shutter speed so that you just kind of let more light in. You take that picture at the nighttime and the, the shutter stays open for longer to let more light in. And the more light that gets let in, the more it impacts that image that we're being changed into that same image from glory to glory but it's all in that beholding so don't get so rushed with the I got to do this and I got to do this that you fail to like receive from him who is life behold him consider him and as it said there in John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they would know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Ooh.